You are listening to the Nevada Podcast, episode 10, nine-month media blackout. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Nirvana Podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Jiritje. And what we do here on this podcast is we journey through the history of the rock band Nirvana, talk about uh, the stories that surround the band, and also uh, listen to lots and lots of music. And that's exactly yep, what we're going to do today. Um, our story yes. this far uh, has brought us to uh, the beginning of 1992. Uh, actually, uh, last uh, episode we ended on uh, Nirvana's performance uh, on uh, Saturday Night Live. And, well, that basically marked the beginning of their superstardom, I think. Yep. And the beginning of 1992, because that was at the beginning of January. Yeah. <laughs> so, perfect. Yeah, that, that's something really remarkable of the year 1992, that it started with January. <laughs> I yep. mean, it's like yep. a typical, it's pretty special. yeah, it's like a typical nineties <laughs> thing, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, if, if you're like younger, then you might not remember that, but no, the, that's, that's what happened back then. Yeah. Those were the days. <laughs> um, <laughs> and do you know, uh, what happened on uh, January 11th of 1992? Um, no, but I have a feeling you're going to tell me. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, otherwise it would be a really (laughs) random question. No, um, that's the day that uh, Nevermind, uh, the album uh, Nirvana had released like um, a couple of months before, uh, reached number one on the Billboard Top 100. Wow. Uh, And they famously uh, replaced uh, Michael Jackson uh, from that number one spot. It's been uh, Mm -hmm. repeated over and over in pretty much every... uh, biography of store or story or uh, about nirvana you can uh, yeah you can read this because it's like symbolic for them taking over the, the old music industry and replacing it with something new because michael jackson uh, the king of pop gets knocked off the top <laughs> position of the charts by uh, this 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 new grunge band and uh yeah i i think it's true it's been um over documented a bit but still, yep. I mean, it, it, it was a big deal back then. Um, yep, probably to them as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't looked it up. And I think a couple of weeks later, Michael Jackson was back at number one. Uh, <laughs> but but I'm, I'm not completely sure. The fact is that all of a sudden, uh, Nirvana were megastars and um, grunge yep. was a really big uh, thing. And everybody was talking about it. And uh, it, had a, it had a major uh, uh, impact. So all of a sudden, everybody was talking about grunge and what was grunge. And uh, well, let's listen to a short introduction. That's punk rock. And one day they just sort of started going. um... And that was grunge. The most noisy absurd heaviest thing that was going yeah 
we know this is heavy rock, and heavy rock is kind of stupid, but it's fun anyways. That's where you had a band like the Melvins doing Kiss covers. It, it, was, it was all in fun. It was like, we know that this is the cheesiest thing we could possibly do. We got to do it. It's just ridiculousness, complete ridiculousness. What can we get away with next, you know? Yeah, there was a, a, a clip from uh, the documentary uh, Hype, which uh, you can yep. see on YouTube. Uh, at least at the moment it's on YouTube. I don't know if it's going to get removed because I don't know if, uh, if it's a um, legit publication. I think somebody just uh, uploaded it. I tried to find uh, uh, a legit version, <laughs> but I couldn't find that. So I'm not sure if it's actually still officially out there. I think it was made in like... 95 or 96 or something like that yeah i i think so too and it's about um what, what happened after uh, nirvana made it big and became uh, superstars and, and what one of the um consequences of that is that all of a sudden all those bands that were from seattle or uh, um, the seattle area they got signed by major labels and they became successful yep there's a there's a couple of uh, great quotes in there as well by 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 bands who were like yeah no nobody knew us but because we were from Seattle we were like on the cover of a magazine the next week <laughs> it was just like saying you were from Seattle was like the magic word um, and the 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 grunge hype was just that that was such a big hype that basically. Every every newspaper, music magazine, uh, TV show wanted to do something with that grunge idea. So yeah, it it was a a, a blooming period uh, for the Seattle music scene. Yeah. During that hype. Yeah, did they even talk about how um, bands from different cities moved to Seattle because they knew that you know that the eye of the big. Uh, Record labels was on Seattle, so they had a much better chance of, of getting signed and uh, and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, but then again, it was already you know kind of happening. I mean, Nirvana was already on a major label, Sonic Youth was on a major label, and even uh, Pearl Jam was already on a major label because their debut album Ten uh, was already out. So um, yeah. just to make clear the difference between the quote-unquote old rock bands and uh, and uh, quote-unquote new uh, grunge rock bands. Let's listen to two uh, bands. Uh, first, um, we hear uh, Aerosmith and then we hear Pearl Jam.
Um, so if you hear um, these two songs back to back, what are your thoughts on it? Well, what I find interesting is is that if you listen to uh, the guitars in in Even Flow by Pearl Jam, that you actually still hear that old rock sound in there. Um, there is there is there is a clear connection between the two. Um, I know that that I Kurt said that like one of the reasons that he 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 said he didn't like Pearl Jam or they were too commercial was because they did too many guitar solos, (laughs) apparently. (laughs) Um, Not that I take that very seriously, but thinking about that and listening to these guitars, it's like, ah, there is, there is like, it has, it has that same kind of feeling. Um, You can hear it comes from the same, same source. Um, So that's interesting, I think. also, I just realized by listening to this back to back that there is quite a, a distinction in the the singing style of, let's say, the the, the more grungy indie rock bands and um, the the more traditional seventies eighties based rock. Um, there's a there's like a a slightly deeper sounding most of the grunge rock singers um and there is more like old style heavy metal screeching um <laughs> i guess in 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 the um the bands from from the previous era um and even in in new bands like under roses but they are more in that tradition as well and it's interesting actually because we're now doing like old old rock new grunge rock um but that so to speak old rock um kept going strong as well yeah <laughs> um it didn't it didn't clear out uh with with the grunge i mean it it took a backseat during during the grunge era uh but it definitely came back during the rest of the 90s um and didn't go away until i think about start of of 2000 something like that and also i think some of those um hair metal bands they simply adjusted to the new flavor and a new style yep you definitely know, making their um, making their music just a bit more rough and sloppy sounding but i think they most of all they jumped a bit on the new look because i don't think yep. grunge is really um a style of music as well as a like a, a label for a for a style of music, fashion, lifestyle, all exactly. s- all those things combined. I mean, um, th- there was a big contrast between um, bands like Aerosmith and Kiss uh, portray themselves. You know, they're not they're like <laughs> the word um, hair metal. Um, you know, <laughs> exactly. They didn't just. Uh, Coco from itself, they were all about the the big hair and the makeup and the styling and the yeah, and and that came from like glam rock before them. Yeah. Um obviously that started with glam rock in the seventies, and then it 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 went through heavy metal to hair rock to well whatever label you want to put on that because there's lots of labels. But yeah, definitely there's there's a a, a big distinction in in looks. Yeah. And and uh, yeah, because all all of a sudden they get 
like blown away by guys who look like they just um, came from the street <laughs> and didn't care about yep. their appearance at all. And yeah, and then that became a thing. Uh, also, that's uh, covered in the hype documentary that's um, in uh, stores. Uh, all of a sudden, you could buy really expensive flannel shirts and stuff like that. <laughs> I, I don't yep. really remember that showing up in the Netherlands, at least not where I grew up or I wasn't aware <laughs> well, of it. I, I, I do. I Did do. you pick up I, on it? I, yeah, I had a flannel shirt. I mean, <laughs> we all had that. <laughs> a, a pricey one? No, 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 no. I had no money for that. And even if I had it, I wouldn't spend it on it. Um, also, I mean, I had one flannel shirt, um, but that wasn't my my entire look because I, I've always liked um, – lots of different kinds of music so like i was into nirvana but i was also um uh, heavily into prince still am which is something completely different yeah. <laughs> also in looks and there's a lots of other bands like i, I think i mentioned like they've the bow in a case people like that so i never um adjusted my clothing style to just like one one look or one band but I did definitely have have um, a flannel shirt back in that those days because well I mean I, I grew up in Amsterdam so basically we we had stuff like that yeah. <laughs> and also we had like we had I think we had I can sort of safely claim that I uh, I pay a lot of money for it and also it was sort of hopefully Seattle style as in that um, we used to have a really big uh, sort of secondhand market place. It's still there in Amsterdam, but it's not as good as it used to be <sighs> back in the day. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but they uh, they had lots of secondhand clothing. Um, so you could buy this stuff actually from a secondhand store. Yeah. And that was a Which real they thing, also did in Seattle, so that was good. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we haven't um, mentioned Nirvana and a lot for a Nirvana podcast this far, have we? And, <laughs> no. And there's a true. reason for that, I think, because they <laughs> didn't do that much during this period because um, uh, Kurt was doing other things, mainly um, taking drugs, of, uh, m- moving <laughs> with Courtney Love, his newfound. Uh, girlfriend to uh, LA so he wasn't even uh, uh, around Seattle at that at that period of time nope. I, th- I think that's that's pretty pretty um, interesting but still there were still uh, uh, singles being released from the album of course and they all became very big uh, big hits uh, the next one would be Come uh, Are. they shot a video for it in uh, in January one of the choices they made for the video is to have them their uh, faces being like blurred out and distorted and with running yep. water effects and, and stuff like that. We're gonna gonna talk a bit more about those um the videos Nirvana made uh in another uh, episode. But I've read that one of the reasons they did this was partly because well they were all over TV and all the magazines so everybody knew who they were. And also um Kurt looked like crap during this period because of his <laughs> yep. drug habit. And I think um, during this time, the band started not falling apart, but there were tensions within the band. Yeah, definitely. I think we we discussed last time how um, heavy the toll was on them um, becoming so famous and also having that that horrible uh, 
tour through Europe. Um, so you'd expect that tensions were running high between them. Um, that makes a lot of sense. They also toured Australia and Japan during the beginning of 1992. So again, going far from home and 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 doing some gigs uh, while they were probably tired. <laughs> yeah. So that all didn't really help. And I think that that they sort of as soon as they had no touring things or whatever, they just tried to stop contacting each other <laughs> yeah. and and weren't that friendly uh, to each other anymore. Um, just took to their own spot. I think Dave Grohl and Christopher Selig, they, um, they were still close and communicating with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yep. Kurt was uh, pretty much on his own, you know, withdrawing yep. a bit from the band and the rest of the world and uh, um, getting really close with, uh, with Courtney Love, of course. Because before they went on tour to Australia and Japan, um, Chris and Dave, they played together with the guys from the Melvins, uh, yep. calling themselves Melvana. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. <laughs> Let's listen to that for a bit and then uh, go to some actual Nirvana music. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, maybe it says something that Kurt um, um, wasn't with them at that point. The Melvins were <laughs> sort of his his band and his friends uh, yeah. from back in the day. So didn't Kurt co-produce uh, a Melvins album? Um, could be. I think Not sure. I think he did, but it didn't really work out for some reason. Fact is that um, it kind of split the band between Kurt on one side and Dave and Chris on the other side. Um, they also had a big uh, dispute about the the uh, royalties. Yep. Because their uh, initial agreement was that they were uh, uh, split equally amongst uh, each band, band member. And then uh, Kurt um, demanded that he would get uh, 75% um, of the music and 100% of the lyrics. Because, well, he wrote all of the lyrics yeah. and he came up with basically every basic idea for, for the music. It wasn't unreasonable, perhaps, but I think what really um, pissed off the other guys was that he wanted the new arrangement to be uh, in reverse, which meant that he would also get a lot of extra money for the Nevermind sales. <laughs> exactly. And they had to pay that back to him. And yep. <laughs> I, I understood, always understood that it almost broke up the band. Yeah, and that makes sense. Dave and Chris have commented on that later as well, that it wasn't the demand itself that was unreasonable, but the timing of it and and the retroactiveness of it, because it it just it feels wrong. Basically, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, he he should have thought of that before, and and sure you can change it, but making them pay back money um, just after you've made it big is 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 not the best thing to do. No. Luckily for us, they didn't split up over this. Um, no, Chris and Dave um, choosing to to like take a step back um, to accept this, to also take a step back from 
the way Kurt was behaving, um, go and pursue their own ideas and just sort of wait around and see what would happen with Kurt and what would happen with the band. I, I think that that sort of rescued the band as well. Yeah, and I would think it's so sad, uh, especially for Chris. I mean, he was there uh, from day one together with Kurt, you know, uh, yep. being being poor, practicing all of the time, doing gigs where nobody showed up. And then finally you become the biggest band in the world. And then within a, just a couple of months, stuff like this is starting to happen. It must have been oh, tough. It's horrible. Yeah. And, and, and still they, uh, they were uh, touring the world. I mean, like you said, in uh, February, they went to Australia and Japan. So um, shout out to our uh, Australian listeners, uh, by the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> accompanying this tour, there was an uh, EP released, uh, Hormoning, it's, uh, it's called. It was like a collection of radio sessions and B-sides. There were about six songs on there, I think. Mm-hmm. Let me check my list. One, yeah. two, three, four, five, six. Oh, yeah, you're right. spot on. <laughs> um, let's listen to um, D7, their uh, version of uh, the Wipers song. Fifteen years old or something like that. Some friends of, uh, of mine uh, and I decided to uh, to do like a, a gig on an open stage and uh, perform this song. Uh, we didn't feel the need to practice it first. <laughs> uh, we chose this song because it was one of the easiest uh, songs uh, to play. Uh, what we didn't know is that the guy who played drums he knew this song only of some weird bootleg version in <laughs> which everything stops or at least the drums stop when the solo uh, uh, begins. <laughs> so he just quit playing. <laughs> no, but I think I'm pretty sure it, it sounded shitty already, but all of a sudden the drummers stopped playing. Nobody knew what, what to do. And then <laughs> the guy who was playing guitar, he thought, well, I've practiced uh, the solo. I'm going to play this solo. But he did it on his own. It was really, uh, really weird. That's my uh, <laughs> fond recollection uh, of, this, uh, of this song. What, yeah. what, what did you do? Uh, I played bass. At that time, I thought bass was the easiest instrument to play because you didn't <laughs> have to play chords. Uh, and also, you were wrong. <laughs> of course, I was wrong. I was stupid. Uh, and also, I uh, listened to the bass line on um, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit and I thought, well, it's basically exactly the same as the guitar riff, except if you play mm-hmm. the guitar, you have to play chords and all I have to do is yep. play the one note. So... How hard can it be? <laughs> so that's why I did that. Um, yeah. And, um, but this version of, uh, Nirvana is, uh, is slightly better than ours. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was taken from a BBC session, I think. They didn't, uh, yeah, I think so. Yep. They didn't yeah. record any, uh, material, especially for, um, for the Hormoning EP. 
Nee, nee. Uh, there, there was a lot of stuff on there that they'd already recorded. Um, and um, I think this one, it's it's interesting because like half of half of the songs on the EP were uh, covers. I think that's interesting for a for a promo EP to do that. Uh, yeah. I mean, we know that that Nirvana always loved doing covers, and they continue to do so. Uh, uh, but in this case, it's uh, it's it's an interesting choice, uh, probably because, like you said, it was already recorded, and it made sense to to put it on there and and give the fans in Australia and Japan something new. Um, yeah. and something entirely different. And the wipers were probably not that known there. So again, another uh, attempt of uh, of uh, the band to uh, at least uh, give some uh, uh, attention to bands that they loved. So that's nice. The band later um, that year um, in uh, April, they recorded another song from the uh, wipers. They were asked uh, to submit uh, a, a track for a, a Wipers um, tribute album. Uh, and then yep. um, they wanted to send in their version of uh, D7, as we just heard. But then they um, heard that it might be a bit complicated because of the copyrights, because the tribute album would come uh, would be put out by a different label. So right. yeah. then uh, uh, they decided, well, then we're just going to play another Wipers song. And apparently, <laughs> exactly. um, without uh, hardly ever uh, practicing it, uh, they came up with their uh, version of uh, Return of the Rats. <laughs> This session was the first time uh, the band was back uh, together uh, in the studio since they uh, recorded uh, Nevermind. And I think you can very clearly hear the difference in sound and production between like the polished Nevermind sound and the, <laughs> the rough sound of this uh, of this one. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, there is a big difference, uh, obviously, also because they... They are doing a a song that is like I mean um, the Wipers were uh, a a pure punk rock band um, a, a a tight one I must say I mean um, they they if if you have no idea who they are please look them up because they're an interesting uh, interesting band they weren't that well known I think um, they're from Portland Oregon which is sort of near Seattle, so so not exactly the same scene, but in the same same vein. Um and um I I I could understand also um that Nirvana would be interested in doing their songs because it sort of feeds to that root punk rock feeling that they have, but still with like really um musically really tight and really clear. And you can hear that here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, also, they uh, they uh, recorded some new songs uh, during these sessions in the 
Laundry Room Studios. Um, they did some demos for some songs that would later uh, um, turn up again uh, when they uh, did the Yudro uh, album. Uh, and also they recorded uh, two new songs um, that were going to be released as a, well, one as a B-side and one as a split single. Um, so it's up to you. Do you want to listen to uh, Kermudgeon, Oh the Guild, or the both of them? Uh, let's do both. Okay. So first here's uh, Kermudgeon. <laughs> it was a B-side for the Lithium single, I think. Yep, Lithium. Yeah. And yep. after that we hear uh, Oh the Guild, uh, which would later be released when they put out a uh, a split single with uh, the band The Jesus Lizard. that this song could have been better with a bit more work on it. I think if they'd gone back to it later or put some more thought into into the structure, it would have been a really interesting song. And now it still feels like it it never came further than like a demo version, which is probably true because that's what they were doing, demoing and, and, and... Apparently, it wasn't a very successful demo session in general, at least not to their liking yet. But yeah, I, I would have loved to hear a more developed version of, of this song. Yeah. And I also think that maybe they intentionally didn't want to sound too good. Uh, let the world know yeah. that they were still like a, a rough rock band and they weren't. Yep. They didn't plan yep. on making a more nevermindy stuff. Something like that. <laughs> exactly. More sophisticated sound yeah. that, that, that Nevermind had that they didn't like anymore. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so here's uh, Oh the Guilt. This song you can hear that they were you know weren't taking it too seriously i mean the the lighter sound uh yep <laughs> not the light yeah well from the, the the sound the lighter makes not that it sounds light oh, it still sounded heavy <laughs> for a song with a lighter whatever um you you mean you mean a lighter that you use to to light your cigarettes yeah and Don't smoke you, kids. you no <laughs> <laughs> For, for those of you who don't know what a cigarette is, <laughs> because you're all smoking e-cigarettes, yeah. <laughs> you used to use a lighter to, yeah. <laughs> to light it, and it makes a neat sound. And you hear it, you can hear it at the beginning, it, it's like that sound 
before every every pause um it's in there but the, like you say they they are like it's not too serious but for a band who hasn't played together in a couple of months and who have had a couple of falling outs um they sound pretty tight by the way uh, people who know this song uh, from the um with the lights out a box set that came out a, a couple of years uh, ago they haven't heard that uh, lighter in there because the song was remixed and uh, they decided to take right, it out. Yeah. But this was the... Uh, For some weird reason. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, probably the reason is they didn't think it was cool anymore. <laughs> it didn't sound right. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that, yeah. that's reason enough. Uh, for yeah. But but you were right. They, they, they were... Um, they weren't playing bad for a, for a band that had such uh, internal struggles. Um, I think one of the... the moments that made that very clear is when uh, Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love got married uh, at the end of February and uh, Chris Novoselic, Kurt's longtime friend, um, wasn't there. No, he was he was invited, but um, his his wife wasn't, um, which was the reason apparently for him also declining to go, uh, which makes sense. And Again, this is one of those personal stories that there's probably like five different versions of. Yeah. Uh, but whatever the reason was, um, he wasn't there, which is which is a sad thing. Yeah, and it's, it's it's so weird that then, like a month later or a bit a bit more than a month later, um, you have to work uh, together again, and some, yep. you know, not just work, but you know, uh, work that you used to do as friends, making music together. Yep. Yeah, there, there's a lot of a lot being said about the marriage and the relationship between Kurt and Courtney. Um, on the one hand, people, for some reason, really like to blame Courtney for this. But um, mm-hmm. I, I think, um, yeah, well, Kurt's to blame just as much. And maybe even Chris <laughs> and Dave, exactly. too. I mean, they probably make mistakes. Uh, sure. With their friend, uh, and well. and let, let's not forget I think we said this before, but they were still incredibly young. They were mid twenties, um, and and like <laughs> instant famous, um, very tired, um, overusing uh, uh, booze, drugs, um, whatever. Uh, all of those things have an influence, um, and and yeah, it's it's. You can't um, deny that things got worse when Kurt and Courtney got together. Um, but those things usually go in circles. Uh, <laughs> you can't do like say like, oh, because that happened, now this happened. Um, it usually all has to do with each other. And the fact that he was getting more into drugs, the fact that he had problems with being famous, that he was tired, that he had had his stomach problems. Um, and then meeting her, uh, that feeling of, of meeting someone very special and wanting to spend all your days with her and, and forget about work. I mean, all of those things are, are um, influential on, on everything that happens. Yeah. Um, so it's not as easy as saying, oh, when she came along, she was the bad influence. I mean, we've seen him be a bad influence himself yeah. <laughs> without her as well. So it's a combination of things and, and um, whatever happened, happened. But um, it was a, um, a, a 
not not the best period for the band at least no and um it was a very stressful period for um uh, for them personally as well um uh, i think dave Grohl uh, later said that he had um he had a, a, a panic attacks during this period uh, himself. He, he realized that he was just the drummer and that uh, that the pressure and the focus on Kurt was um, infinitely uh, bigger and, and, and stronger. Yep. Um, and then, uh, you know, getting together with a very um, remarkable character such as Courtney, Courtney Love, who was also a musician and did some acting, so she was also in the, the entertainment industry that made it like perfect for for uh, media coverage of all kinds. <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, some of it went went really wrong. There's a, a very uh, famous uh, publication by uh, Vanity Fair, uh, the magazine, about uh, well, it, it was supposed to be like a, a, a portrait of Courtney Love who at that time um, realized that she was pregnant, spent a lot of time with the journalist and they thought they would get a really nice article uh, from it. But then um, she portrayed her worst side, I think, and maybe exaggerated uh, uh, just a bit. And um, she also uh, quoted sources that said that she uh, had been using heroin while she knew she was pregnant. Yep. So that was really, really devastating. Uh, there was a picture taken of her uh, with her pregnant belly uh, and smoking a cigarette. So that was really bad for them, I think. Kurt already had some issues with the press, um, mainly because they had so many interviews during the tour and and lots of them were probably incredibly stupid because like back then you also had like the teenage magazines and and they would mostly cover like <laughs> the, the the less interesting questions mm. like more like what's your favorite food and things like that and and they got really tired of having to talk to journalists and always giving the same answers and stuff like that um and then also getting stuff printed about them that came from different sources or was just made up. Yeah. Um, so this publication, which was really harmful as well, um, whether it was true or not, it was harmful, um, was really sort of the, 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 the high point for Kurt to, to really start hating, hating the press and, and, and just not wanting to have anything to do with them anymore even though he did get back on that and he had his people that he still talked to but yeah. um at least he made it very vocal that he um he didn't trust them anymore no no and it became really clear when uh, two um journalists um wanted to write, write an, uh, a biography of the band he and courtney had the suspicion that it would be the same thing over again um and it would be uh, turn out really bad for them, um, and they became really, really dark and aggressive and uh, intimidating. There's later um, uh, a, a voice uh, mail message that he left on uh, one of their uh, uh, answering machines um, turned up, and um, so we can have a listen to it. And I think it says something about their um, state of mind at that point. 
person. Never been more fucking serious in my life. Yeah, that's not pretty. Uh, no. <laughs> there's a, there's a, no excuse for uh, for that. He could have just sent a um, um, a court order to uh, just uh, uh, prohibit the the biography from uh, appearing, yeah. or at least uh, trying to prohibit it from appearing. So yeah. Yeah, and um, I don't know. I don't think that it was because um, things like this and threats like this. But uh, the the book never got finished or got published so for some reason they decided not to go through with it this was part of the reason why they decided to um, release an, um, an uh, authorized biography uh, the book uh, Commissoire mm-hmm. by uh, Michael Ezret which um, is an interesting book but also uh, it's very obviously uh, their side of the story and yep. it doesn't always uh, match up with the facts I think but uh, yeah, we uh, we <laughs> we we keep coming back to that yeah, uh, <laughs> as a, as something that. But I I I I agree. I mean, it's I mean, that's that's almost always the case with authorized biographies that that it's heavy on on one side, um, and this is one where there is quotes in there, um, direct quotes, so that makes it even even harder um, and. Especially with things like this happening, you can imagine that that for Kurt it was interesting to have this official biography and and to be um, let's say as 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 open as he could be for that one. Uh, but that could also mean um, telling a lot of stories <laughs> um, that might not have been true, but would be interesting for in the book. Um, so yeah, you, you you never really know what happened, um, and that book gives gives a really interesting um, look at um, Kurt and the band, I think. Um, but yeah, um, it's it's a bit of an uneven uh, playing field if you uh, at the same time uh, uh, try to b- prohibit books like this uh, in this way. Yeah, that's true, and I, I, th- I think there's two sides of it. I mean, on, on one hand, I understand that he had something to protect, and he felt threatened. And um, well, they uh, like you said, the, the Vanity Fair article was devastating for them. On the head, on the other hand, um, he was using drugs, and, and he did have a problem, yeah. and he was probably just scared to be exposed, and probably ashamed of it as well. So I think, uh, yeah, a, lo- a lot of Things were going on in his mind. One way it, it came out. Yeah, yeah, and and um, it's he was already struggling with being um, so famous and having everybody looking at what he was doing and saying and wanting and whatever. Um, and and like we discussed at the beginning of this episode, like the whole grunge scene made it even even worse because. People really wanted to know everything. Um, and then with him having a girlfriend, later wife, who was also um, already slightly notorious and in the business, um, the whole drug discussions, um, it's its really easy to get extremely paranoid um, and anxious about things like that. 
Um, and then the, <laughs> the whole drug abuse itself would make you yeah. paranoid and anxious, uh, even without being famous. Yeah, and let's, let's not forget that he already had mental problems before he became famous. Yep. Uh, and, exactly. and physical so, problems as well. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's really a a really bad combination um, that that made him flash out like this, and that doesn't make it right, uh, not at all. But um, it's it's um, yeah, yeah, things like this unfortunately happen. Yeah, um, yeah, they did. Um, one fortunate thing that happened is that um, the Kurt, Courtney's daughter was born, Frances Bean Cobain, on uh, August eighteenth. And she was completely healthy. And that was yep. a big relief um, because I think uh, Courtney Love later admitted that she had used heroin uh, when she was pregnant, but that she quit uh, straight away when she found out that she was pregnant. But she was obviously very scared that it would uh, affect uh, the baby. And that got really... Um, Exaggerated in the magazines. Uh, one magazine printed uh, like a, a horrible picture of a of a, a baby from a, from a junkie that was born with an addiction and it looked really really awful. But um, yep. yeah, luckily everything uh, turned out to be uh, to be uh, all right. Now the the birth of uh, of Francis that's uh, surrounded with weird stories as well. <laughs> exactly. Um, there. Yeah. Apparently, Kurt was going through um, uh, uh, withdrawal um, uh, symptoms, and Courtney later said that she had to hold his hand and, <laughs> and encourage exactly. him while she was giving birth. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Um, no, there's. Uh, I mean, what we know is that during that period, Kurt was sort of in and out of rehab. Um, trying to to on one hand kick his habit also because their baby was coming uh on the other hand also having trouble with that and and not always probably um being sure why it was needed to to stop using um because obviously he felt better um um while he was using and you also had stories like yeah i really want to like go all out and then quit um I mean, the usual um, addiction um, stories, yeah. um, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but apparently he was he was in the same hospital in rehab or something like that and in isolation and they had to sort of take him out to, to be with the birth. And then, like you said, he was going through withdrawal and whatever. And I, I will never know what was true, but um, it, it still wasn't the best period for him. No, absolutely let's, not. Let's... <laughs> um, later, um, a story was told that um, shortly after um, his daughter was born, he uh, came back to Courtney in the hospital uh, with a gun, talking about a double mm -hmm. suicide pact, if, any, if, if, if their uh, baby would be taken away. But I've never yeah. heard anybody back up that story. No, I I think there's there's not a lot of evidence that it actually happened, but perhaps it does say something about um, the fear they felt, and rightfully so because they actually lost custody over their baby for uh, for a period of time. Yep. Also, uh, thanks to the Vanity Fair article that that started that whole thing. Yeah, because a social worker uh, showed up and they had to 
uh, have a, I think, Courtney's half-sister or something like that. They flew her in yep. so she could, you know, uh, legally take care of the baby. Some Something like that. And they had a, a long fight over it. And then um, in the end, they, they did win. So in the end, they, they were... Uh, they were the the legal parents of uh, of Francis Bean, uh, so so that turned out kind of all, all right. But um, yeah, I can't imagine how hard it must have been uh, for them going through all that at once. Yep. Um, yeah. So it was really uh, really rough times, and uh, well, I don't know, but I, I hope they also had some uh, some good times enjoying becoming parents and having a baby around. I think so. There is there is a lot of positive stories about that. So that's good. They were really happy about being pregnant and really wanted their their child to to be born healthy and, and take care of her. So even within their whole destructive ideas and and drug and alcohol dependence, um, they they still really wanted to to love and take care of their child. Yeah. So yeah. that's good. True. Yeah, from a, from a later period, there's quite a lot of home videos uh, when Francis is already a bit more grown up uh, with uh, yep. Kurt and Courtney just, you know, um, playing around with her, making music. Um, some of that footage comes from a documentary called uh, Hit So Hard, which came out a couple of years ago. And it's about uh, Paddy uh, Schimmel, who was the drummer for Hole, which is uh, Courtney Love's uh, a band at the time. And... Um, she was around them a, um, a lot and she made uh, home videos and uh, yeah, quite some of them got released. You can't find the complete documentary on YouTube. You can find most of the home video clips, especially from Kurt and Courtney and Francis. So if you want to see that, you can, you can look it up. Uh, and if you Google for Hit So Hard CD1 or Hit So Hard CD2, uh, you can find it as well. So if you want to check it out, uh, now you know how you can find it. All of this happened in the span of just a couple of months, which is really, really weird how you, if you, if you think about it. Nine months to be exact. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Coincidence. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, well, at the end of, um, well, I'm not going to say at the end of the period, but at least uh, the point that we're going to um, close off this uh, episode of the Nirvana podcast is when they um, went to the MTV Awards in uh, 1992 in the, uh, September, the MTV Music Video Awards to be exact, mm. and a it, lot of it, stuff. All the way happened. around, Video Music Video Awards. Video Music Awards, there you go. Yeah, because it's the VMAs. Of course, the VMAs. <laughs> yeah. But they're not there anymore, so I forgive you for Thanks. forgetting. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> and there's uh, a lot of the themes we just discussed coming together, I think. They're fused with uh, with uh, uh, fellow bands with uh, the big. Well, let, let's just go through the events. Uh, first of all, uh, they were asked to perform during uh, the the ceremony, and uh, they accepted. And they wanted to play a new song called "Rape Me," and yep. the MTV guys weren't excited about <laughs> it. Nope. Nirvana always had a sort of love-hate relationship with MTV. We just talked about journalists. Um, like MTV was really important to to their success. Um, remember back in those t- days, um, MTV was 
the prime source for music, played music videos all day. It had uh, news sections. I mean, this was before the internet, so if you needed to know music news, you basically had to tune in to MTV. They did a lot of coverage on the whole grunge thing. They even had they, their sort of <laughs> special grunge reporter, um, stuff like that. So Nirvana had had a lot of help from MTV, but they also had like sort of a hate relationship because it took some time before they actually wanted to play them. Uh, it was too much coverage. MTV VMAs, uh, sure, it's great to get awards, but it's commercial and, and lots of bands that they didn't like were there as well. I mean, they kept this love-hate relationship during the whole time. Um, but yeah, wanting to play a new song uh, with the title Rape Me, um, they they definitely knew that MTV was at least going to ask some questions <laughs> about this. Yeah. <laughs> but it was the biggest, biggest music event of the year going live all over the world. So yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of discussion about it because MTV did want them to play that song and it wanted them to play Smells Like Team Spirit, I think. And then they um, put some pressure on the band and then... In the end, they agreed to play Lithium. That was like their, their, their compromise. So they came on live on TV and this is how their performance started. Yeah, and a legend has it that they <laughs> stopped playing a Rape Me um, at the exact right moment, right before MTV wanted to cut to the commercial break. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, when it, when um, uh, Kurt started to play uh, the intro of Lithium, you can see Christian um, uh, uh, Vasilek make like a, a salute sign, like, "Okay, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna be good, <laughs> and we're gonna going to going to uh, obey," which was uh, yep. <laughs> pretty funny. Um, yeah, then they uh, played Lithium, pretty good uh, rendition of the song, I think. And then they got to the end and then all, all sorts of stuff happened. So um, this is how it all uh, ended. So uh, first of all, um, Christoph Selleck threw his bass in the air and wanted to catch it, but it hit him straight on the head. He didn't even make it to the end of the song. He just walked off. <laughs> and and I, people really thought he was he was like mortally wounded. So, yeah, well, yeah. it looked like a really hard blow on the head. So um, yep. it might have been. Um, yeah, but he uh, backstage, uh, he, he met Brian May from Queen and apparently they started to chat. And so he was, uh, he was fine. Then uh, Dave and Kurt decided to uh, destroy some of the 
of the instruments and the amplifiers. And then you can hear uh, Dave scream, hi, Axel, hi, Axel. Of course, uh, taunting yep. um, Axel Rose, singer from Guns N' Roses. There's a whole story behind that as well, because uh, yep. Guns N' Roses and Nirvana, they had like a really long building of tension. And, and it, I think it started out when uh, Axel Rose became a fan of Nirvana. He wore a Nirvana yeah. hat in one of his videos. Uh, he wanted to meet Kurt backstage. He wanted Nirvana to play uh, at his birthday party, which uh, the band would have <laughs> exactly. would all decline. Um, then uh, they wanted Nirvana to uh, go on tour with them and Metallica, like a mega rock tour. And Nirvana didn't yep. feel like that either. So <laughs> he, he was, um, yeah, he got the door in his face uh, over and over again, and. Uh, yeah, then he started to uh, take a different approach and uh, talk bad about, especially uh, Kurds. Um, yeah, he basically jumped on that bandwagon of of bashing Courtney and and bashing their heroin abuse and and getting a child. Yeah. So yeah. And then they met backstage at the VMAs. Yes. <laughs> and. Um, for a lot of people, this will probably be a very familiar story uh, because it's been uh, told several times also by um, uh, the band uh, themselves. Apparently, they were hanging out backstage. Um, uh, Courtney Love was there and Francis Bean, little baby, was there as well. Courtney um, shouted to Axel Rose, who was walking by, if he would be uh, the godfather of their baby. <laughs> just you know to which is a nice joke <laughs> yeah which is yeah. a nice joke and then um there was like a like a bit of a discussion and actual rose told um kurt that his wife needed to shut up his wife something like that and then yeah he he needed that was sort of the whole point that axel said to kurt that he would have to take care of of shutting up his wife yeah so, I mean, and if you know anything about Courtney Love, talking about her to her husband and mm. and <laughs> being like men and, and dismissing the woman, um, even if it's jokey, uh, that's like the worst thing <laughs> you could do. Yeah. Um, in, in, in general, I must say, please, men, uh, don't do that. Yeah. Just not even if you're a big <laughs> even if you're rock not, star. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Just, just don't. Yeah. Just talk to the woman herself, please. Axel said he wanted to fight Kurt, but he had, he had like a, a baby in his hands, and they weren't taking him very seriously. Later, um, Duff McKagan, the the basis of Guns N' Roses, tried to get uh, Christopher Selleck in a fight. Apparently, that's that's what you do. Like, you need to if you're a bass player, you need to <laughs> yeah. fight with the other bass player. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're the drummer, you need to fight with the drummer or whatever. It's some sort of rule, I guess. Yeah, and, and Chris later <laughs> said that, that he was um, surrounded by his bodyguards, so it was really stupid. Um, the whole thing got videotaped, apparently. I'm pretty sure that mm -hmm. I've seen footage of it on YouTube, but when I try to find it for this podcast, I, I couldn't find it anymore. So maybe uh, it just got taken off. I did find something else. <laughs> okay. With um, Duff and Chris, because it, it really, okay. really worked out. <laughs> they actually played music together. Here's what they played. Yeah.
yeah, this 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 goes on for about five minutes. <laughs> yes, uh, so it's so you know, awesome. yeah, it's uh, it's a uh, Chris on uh, accordion and it's a uh, Duff McKagan on uh, on bass, and they're playing a uh, Guns N' Roses hit "Sweet Child of Mine." So yeah. Ooh. They, they became sort of friends in the end. That's that's good. <laughs> yeah. I need to to hear the whole five minutes of this because it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can I can send it to you. Then there was some more uh, peacemaking even in 1992 because uh, well, we talked a bit earlier about uh, Kurt uh, putting down a Pearl Jam, and um, at this night, uh, the night of the VMAs, um, Eddie Vedder and Kurt Cobain sort of made up by slow dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, <laughs> Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. <laughs> oh yeah, because that that won one of the awards as well. Tears in Heaven. That was the same year. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, and I think just just for the record that I can I can remember that whole Pearl Jam Nirvana thing um, being being sort of a media thing as well. Um, I mean. I know Kurt said some some not so nice things about uh, Pearl Jam, but to be honest, he said a lot of not so nice things about a lot of bands during that time. Um, like we discussed already, also because of the whole journalism and the hype and the whatever, uh, which made him lash out to to several bands that he felt had maybe a too high a profile or they were compared to, um, and especially like. Pearl Jam, that sort of came out of nowhere and all of a sudden got like in the charts. I mean, that's not exactly how it happened if you if you <laughs> get into the details of the Pearl Jam uh, as a band, but we're not the Pearl Jam podcast, but to him, that must have been annoying. Back in the days, um, I read what Kurt had to say about Pearl Jam and that's why I didn't want to like Pearl Jam so I never really listened to them <laughs> really wow I mean if you would say well I don't really like their music that's fine but uh, accusing them of jumping on the bandwagon they were bandwagon it was really ridiculous yep. because they were uh, in uh, a previous band called Green River which was one of the first uh, bands on, on the Sub Pop label and really laid the foundation for uh, uh, the whole grunge um, yeah, movement definitely. and then uh, basically just Eddie Vedder was sort of new on the scene because he wasn't from the Seattle area but the rest of them had been in in the Seattle music scene for ages uh, definitely you know I, I totally agree yeah and also um, uh, the Pearl Jam album uh, uh, that made him big 10 was released um, just a bit before uh, Nirvana came out with Nevermind so they didn't uh, they didn't adjust their sound to be cool or successful. <laughs> no, not at that, was, all. that was really no. ridiculous. And, uh, yeah, and it and it took it actually took uh, Pearl Jam longer to be successful uh, because their uh, album came out before Nirvana, but th- it it took them a longer time to really get high in that, those charts and really get big. Yeah, but but they had even uh, toured together for. Just a short tour, like like about a week with Pearl Jam, Nirvana, and uh, um, yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers. So yeah, it, it was a bit of a weird. But thing. it was his whole whole thing. Um, 
between them that ex- um, uh, really caught the headlines, I think, in in um, um, the music press, um, especially because they were both from Seattle. Um, like looking back on it, back in those times, like the Guns N' Roses thing, even though that whole MTV thing happened and people knew about that, um, it wasn't like Nirvana versus Guns N' Roses. It was always Nirvana versus Pearl Jam because it was interesting to pit them together um, because they were both grunge and from Seattle. It's like Beatles versus Stones and Blur Oasis, that kind of thing. And I think it never really got retaliated from Pearl Jam, right? No. Like you said, uh, Kurt said a lot of uh, horrible things, but I don't think that that Pearl Jam ever really was nasty about about Nirvana. Yeah, so, I don't think so, yeah. don't think so either. Um, maybe because they were polite and smarter and more mature, <laughs> or maybe because they knew that it wouldn't bring them any good. I don't know. No, no, and they they got tired of the music uh, press as well, and and had that same problem with becoming famous and becoming so big and having to to decide on what sort of band they were and how they were going to react to that. So I think there were more um, similarities between the bands in that aspect as well. So yeah. yeah. And and apparently they both, they both liked slow dancing on Eric Clapton, yeah, so that's good. That's, that's really good for bonding. <laughs> and be honest, back back in 1992, like everybody loved Tears in Heaven, and you can't you can't believe it when you when you hear it now, but everybody loved it. Believe me. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, a, a lot of stuff happened um, during that uh, that ceremony. Um, one thing that we need to mention is they uh, got an award too, even, and um, they got this Michael Jackson lookalike to to fetch their award, which is fun because well, we started out with <laughs> them uh, um, dethroning Michael, so they sort of played that joke and uh, yeah, which is that they had a great sense of humor. But they also accepted uh, one award themselves, and I think mm-hmm. um, Kurt realized that that was a really great opportunity to um, do something against all this um, speculation and negative press he got. Uh, some of it just and some of it uh, unfair. But um, he seized the opportunity by, you know, looking like a regular nice guy and uh, saying the following. <laughs> I'd like to thank my family and our record label and our true fans and you can't believe everything you've seen here now can you you know it's really hard to, to uh, believe everything you read Thanks. remember Joseph Goebbels <laughs> I like how it, especially without the video, it it seems like the audience is like, he says, like, remember Joseph Goebbels? And the audience just takes a pause and thinks, oh, right, that guy. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's not what happened, but that's just how it sounds like now. 
yeah and um if, if you do uh, look this up and see the video with it you can see Gert looking into the camera with his gazing blue eyes and uh, i think it it did his image a lot of good just you know yeah definitely yeah. and it also it felt like calm and coherent and i think that's what what people needed to see yeah that side of him yeah yeah i totally agree so i think that brings us to an end uh, for uh, for this time um do yep. you have anything uh, to add or anything we we forgot about no no i don't think so yeah lots obviously <laughs> but um <laughs> you're gonna save it for another no, time or yeah, 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 definitely. We'll, we'll get to some stuff. And, and like you said, we'll do a, a video special later on. And, and there's probably other things that we'll get to in the next episode. Yeah, yeah. I, I have just one more thing in my notes that I uh, don't want to uh, want to uh, skip over, which is um, we're on a bit of a mission to uh, get as much credits for uh, the Netherlands, our country, for um, Nirvana's uh, success. <laughs> Um, and there's a strange story about the marriage of Kurt and Courtney, um, because the owner of a, a venue in Groningen, uh, which is a city in the north of the Netherlands, um, has told the story that when Hall was playing there, um, he got a phone call from Kurt um, asking the guy from the venue if he would ask Courtney if she would marry him. <laughs> really? My wow. phone. Uh, I don't know story. if it's, it's true, <laughs> um, but uh, it is a story that he that he uh, has been has been telling. Uh, I think he refused to do it, and I think he said, "Why well, you, you have to do that uh, yourself?" And then he handed over the phone, and they chatted. And I don't think he proposed then, but I'm not uh, not exactly sure. But um, yeah, for better or worse, I, I, I think <laughs> we as a country had just a little part in their uh, in their love story. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great thought to to end this episode on. Yeah, and nice. I think some people think, oh, that's nice, and some people are going to hate the Netherlands for that. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Because they're still in this. Uh, Courtney broke up Nirvana. Courtney ruined everything. Courtney ruined my life mode um, for the last twenty five years. So uh, <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> get over it yeah <laughs> it's been 25 years yeah that's uh, that's right um so um before we're gonna uh, close this uh, this episode uh, so um before we're gonna um close off this episode i'd like to uh, say hi to uh, alex beauvoir because he was kind enough to send us an email he wrote just wanted to say thank you for doing this i have loved listening to you dutchies pick apart every recording and more so uh, thanks, uh, Alex from Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, I actually yeah, had a thank you. I actually had a short uh, email conversation with him, and he also requested us uh, to do an episode in which we uh, make a list of our ten favorite Nirvana songs. So I think when we're done with uh, with the chronological uh, timeline, uh, uh, we're going to do some more uh, thematic uh, episodes, and uh, this just might be uh, one of them. Yeah, I'll start thinking now. <laughs> and also, if you have any requests for those uh, uh, episodes or other uh, st stuff you'd like us to do, um, please let us know. You can send an email to surewoodpodcast at gmail.com. So that's surewoodpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can look us up on uh, facebook.com slash nirvana podcast. And uh, then uh, you'll, uh, you'll find us and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, don't hold back with the emails and the messages. 
Um, for now, yes. thank you, Yudikia, uh, for joining me once again. Yeah, and thank you for having me once again. Um, I I, I uh, want to thank you also for letting me know that um, I am now the official co-host and that I, uh, I, uh, um, I passed the test um, in doing the first couple of episodes. Yeah, so I'm right. really happy about that. I mean, listeners, you didn't know that, but I was like, I, I was still temporarily yeah. and now like I'm an official. Intern. So exactly. So yay for me, I got good grades and now I'm official. So thank you very much. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and also, um, yeah, you, uh, I sent you a, a Nirvana button by, uh, by email. Uh, well, not by email, by mail, by regular mail. <laughs> I sent you a picture of <laughs> exactly a button by so email well. and no, uh, by uh, by mail, and uh, and you're wearing it. And as long as you're wearing it, you're going to be an I'm, official I'm, I'm, co-host. Exactly. I am proudly wearing it. Yeah. I'll uh, put a put a picture on the Facebook to oh, uh, cool. to prove it cool. to the listeners. Yeah. And it also means that uh, you have to be back next time to do some more Nirvana yeah, podcasting. Yeah. Because you've asked so nicely, I will definitely be back. (laughs) That's great to hear. Uh, And of course, I hope everybody listening (laughs) now is also going to tune in next time. So thank you for listening and see you next time. Bye. Bye. You know, yesterday... uh my wife and I were sitting in a tent at the MTV Music Awards and we're having, we're having lunch. And Axel Rose walked by us and, and we yelled at Axel. We said, Axel, will you be the godfather of our child? And he said, he stopped, he turned around, he pointed his finger at my with wife. With his bodyguard. Said, yeah, well, he had like 20 bodyguards with him and, and he's doing the. Uh, the Madonna documentary, he's got his little film camera with him. And you had a three-week-old baby in your arms. And I had a little helpless child in my arms. And so he said to my wife, You better shut up, bitch. Don't pitch me any shit tonight. Because tonight was obviously the highlight of his career. See, the last night was... He said so. And then I said, and then he said, and then he looked at me and he said, you better keep your wife shut or I'm going to take you to the pavement. I I was shaking and I I went, what? What? You're going to, what are you going to do? You're going to beat me up? And he said, you better keep your wife's mouth shut. You embarrass everybody. You embarrass your wife, embarrass your old man, you embarrass me. And and, and then I, I was shaking and I said, I told my wife to shut up, bitch. True story, you heard it here first, so. And then I ran into Duff McKagan. And that guy wanted to fight me. And he had three bodyguards who were like pushing me around. But it's about, see, that's the establishment rock and roll, see. They want you to buy their package rebellion of sitting on a Harley Davidson while you play uh, uh, piano with a 41 piece orchestra just like Emerson, Lake and Palmer did in 1978 say it brother hey man I'm not sticking up for Axel or anything but I'm not going to stick up for Kurt man well, you gotta take sides. Either you're yes, 
on nine no, or you're no on nine, man. You gotta take yeah. sides. No on nine, but I'm talking about Axel here. Just hang on a second. You're talking about an asshole? Man, I just guys, I think you guys should let music be music, man. Let everybody express what they want, man. Yeah. Be it a hard rock, be it Nirvana, right be it on, anyone, man. Just yeah. let them rock the way they want to rock, yeah, okay? Yeah, right, right on, man, but... All right? That's a corporate establishment. Which but you can't let a rock star who obviously likes to beat women and likes to control women and who likes to tell women to shut up... And who likes niggers and faggots. He's a racist and a homophobe. He doesn't have the right to speak his mind. Well, he does have the right to speak his mind, no, but so do we, and he should I'm be shut up. I'm not sticking up for him, man. That's my girlfriend, Jennifer, okay? She just got a little excited. Shut up. We're having a discussion here. This is forum. You're Americana here. It's cool. It's a, we're having a forum. It's true. We should all just love one another. We've only got like five seconds left. Oh, really? You're about to cut off, huh? Chris? Yeah. I love you. John, record over climbing again.